First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. A few years ago, my wife's grandparents gave us a gift basket for Christmas. Uh, it was a basket of fruit and nuts. I think it was a Harry and David basket. And it came with walnuts and some fruit and stuff in it. And one of the things that was in it was, were, uh, were pears. These Harry and David pears. Now, I love me some fruit. I'm a big, I'm a big fruit guy. But typically, more of like a peach watermelon sort of person. Not a real big fan of the pear. Uh, and so, really didn't really think much of these pears. We put them in the fridge and stored them away. And sort of forgot about them for a while. Uh, until one morning I was leaving the house and I needed something to eat. And so I went ahead and just grabbed one of those pears so I could eat it on the, on the way out the door. And as I bit into this pear, I couldn't believe it. It was the most tender, delicious, sweet, smooth fruit like I'd ever had before. I've never tasted a pear like this before. I was blown away. It was the most, it was the most delicious thing ever. It was like ambrosia. I just couldn't get enough of this pear, and I was surprised. I didn't think I was much of a pear guy, but it just melted in my mouth. And, and so as I, I, I recognized that my, my taste had changed. Now, I like pears, um, but I'm actually a little bit spoiled because apparently I only like $4 pears uh, from <laughs> Harry and David. And so from time to time, I'll eat a typical pear that you might find at Fry's, and I'll think, mm, I mean, I see what you're trying to do, pear. <laughs> but you're just not one of those Harry and and they're not sponsoring us this morning, but they're, those Harry and David pears, man. <laughs> My tastes have changed. I like pears. I like pears now. Uh, and that's kind of what Peter's talking about here in, in the sermon text this morning as well. He's talking about our tastes being changed. Peter says that when you taste that the Lord is good, your desires change. Uh, the, the Christian life, in many ways, is a battle over desires. When we're born again, we're given new desires. We're given a new heart, right? God takes out our heart of stone, and he puts in us this heart of flesh, and this new heart that he gives to us, comes with new desires, new loves. It desires Christ, and it desires his word. Those old, selfish desires of our stony old selves, our stony old hearts, they, see, they keep coming back to us, don't they? And so we have to continue to battle those old desires and fight for these new desires that God has given to us. Well, the big idea of this passage this morning is this. We should deny the desire to hurt others, and cultivate the desire to drink in the gospel. We should deny the desire to hurt others and cultivate the desire to drink in the gospel. Here's what we need to know this morning. The word of God sustains us and matures us. Here's why we need to know that this morning. A desire for God's word is a part of a natural makeup of someone who's been born again, but it's something that we have to fight for. We've got to cultivate it. We need to cultivate that desire for pure spiritual milk, which is the gospel, the word of God, because without God's word, we're going to become starved of the source of our life. The, the gospel is the source of our spiritual nourishment, our maturation. We grow up in the gospel. So that's what we're going to think about this morning from this three verses from First Peter 2. But before we do that, let's, let's pray and ask for help as we drink in this spiritual milk. 
Father, we want to want you. Help us this morning to desire what it is that you desire and to hate what it is that you hate. Father, we pray for those here this morning that have been born again, who have tasted that the Lord is good. We pray for them that they would, during this time of looking into the word and thinking about what it means for us, that your Holy Spirit would help us apply it to our lives. That even now we would get a taste of the goodness of your grace to us. And we pray for those who are here this morning who do not know you, who have not tasted that the Lord is good. Maybe they've read the Bible, but they've never tasted that the Lord is good. We pray for them this morning that as they're here in this worship service, through all the things that we do here together, through the singing, the praying, the, the fellowship, the love that is evident here, we pray that they would get some glimpse, that they would get some taste of the pure spiritual milk of the goodness of you and your word. Father, we need your Holy Spirit to do that, and we ask his help this morning. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's remember what Peter has been saying through the last few sermons that we've heard. We're starting on chapter 2 now, but let's think back to chapter 1. Just remember what's happening here. Peter has written a letter to a group of Christians who are apparently under some persecution. They're, they're suffering, undergoing some sort of suffering, under, and it's related to the fact that they're Christian. Uh, and so Peter wants to write to them. He wants to encourage them as they're living as exiles people that are living in somewhere that they don't belong, they're away from their home. He's writing them to, to encourage them. He encourages them with a few different things. He reminds them of the riches that are theirs in Christ. He reminds them what God has done for them in Christ. And he starts by just reminding them of what God has done for them. Things like this. Christians have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They call God their father They've been adopted into his family. We have these amazing privileges that God has given to us, and these privileges come with weighty duties. There are things that he calls us to that relate to that. So Peter tells his audience and us here this morning, by extension, he tells us that because those things are true, we should be holy. Uh, We should love one another genuinely. We should have a healthy fear of God. These are the things that we've been hearing in the last few sermons, if you've been here. And these things should be true of us because we have been born again by the gospel, that imperishable seed that we heard about last week. So Peter's, this morning in our text, still describing that, that experience of what it's like to be born again as a child of God. So let me read the text for us. It's 1 Peter 2, 1 to 3. It says this. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy And I'll slander, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you might grow up unto salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I really want to start in verse 3, that verse I just read. I think think that's the ground, it seems to me, of what Peter says in verses 1 and 2. So we're going to start in verse 3. Notice there what Peter says in verse 3. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, that the Lord is gracious, that the Lord is kind, that the Lord is delightful. He's connecting this new birth that has been ours through the word to a new appetite. 
if you're a born-again Christian, you've gotten a taste of the gospel, and now you want more of it. You've tasted that the Lord is good. You've tasted that Christ is the Lord. You know what the gospel is. And assuming you've tasted the, the gospel, assuming this is true of you, these two other things ought to be true of you as well. So I think verses 1 and 2 are sort of grounded on verse 3. So assuming that you've tasted the Lord is good, here's the first thing that should be true of you. You should be denying the desire to hurt others. And the second thing that should be true of you, assuming that you have indeed tasted that the Lord is good, is this. We should cultivate the desire to become more like Jesus through drinking in the gospel. Those will really just be the two points this morning. But I want to talk about that first one here first. Let's, let's look at uh, verse 1. 1 Peter 2, 1. It says this. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So, so Peter's saying, assuming that you've tasted that the Lord is good, you should deny selfish desires to desert, to, to hurt others. It's 1A on the slides. There's one just before that. So Peter gives us here in, in these two verses a, a picture of competing desires, desires that are contrary to one another. He's contrasting the, the impure way that they had been treating one another with the purity of the gospel. So in order for us to desire God, in order for us to desire his word, we need to be weaned off of what it was that we used to gain our spiritual nourishment from. And this is what he says. In order to, to, to remember what these vices that we used to find pleasurable are, he reminds us what they are. And notice this. Let's look at these just quickly in turn. He lists off a few of these. It's important to notice that each of these vices, these negative things, these evil things that he's talking about here, has an underlying evil desire. Notice that if you read through these. Malice. Malice is a desire to injure or harm someone else. So you're mean or you're hostile toward them because you have a desire to, to hurt them, right? Deceit. Deceit is a desire to take advantage of people. You want to take advantage of them, and so you use underhanded methods to sort of pull the wool over their eyes and get the better of them. Hypocrisy is a desire to keep your true self, your true identity, a secret. So you put on a mask that hides your true identity so that no one knows what your true purposes or your motivations are. Envy is a desire to covet what others have or what others do or even what others are. And so your heart turns against them, it turns against God and jealousy. Slander is a desire for people to think more highly of you than they do of other people. And so you'll use your words to tear them down in order that you might be built up in their eyes. All of these vices that Peter lists off here are really selfish, self-motivated desires. Do you see that? Now, this, this really is important. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, all of those are desires that are moved by loving yourself more than anything else. Trying to benefit yourself at the expense of others. And this comes naturally to us. Uh, by our nature, our egos are such that we are sort of born, turned in on ourselves, very self-focused, and so we desire to see ourselves as being better than, than we truly are. We're always trying to feed our ego. That's our ego that we're always trying to feed. No matter how much we might do or how much we might accomplish in life, the tummy of our ego is always grumbling. 
Sometimes we feed our egos by taking bites out of other people, either by what we say or by what we do or by what we even think about them. But the ego is never quite satisfied, is it? Like a hangry Joe Pesci waiting for his next Snickers bar. The ego is never satisfied for long. And you might not think that this is true of you. Maybe you're not convinced. Do you think, Malachi, that's other people? I'm not selfish like that. Here's a little thought experiment. The next time someone shows you a picture of, of a group of people and you're in the group, notice who you look for in the picture first. Who do you think is going to be? It's going to be you. It's the way I am. Because you want to see how you're coming across. You want to see, am I, do I look good? Are people going to think highly of me? You want to see how you're going to come across? Because let's be honest, when people think highly of you, it's pleasurable. You get pleasure out of it. And that's not necessarily in and of itself a bad thing. You get a little kick of dopamine, right? That's not evil. Here's what it is. When we start to think that we need to tear other people down in order to get ahead of them, that's evil, and we need to stop. If we want to pull the wool over someone's eyes so that we can take advantage of them, it's evil. It's ungodly, and it's evil, and we need to stop. Uh, If we want to pretend that we believe something that is not actually true of us so that other people think we're cool, that's, that's dumb, and it's evil. We need to be clear that it is evil. Uh, When we talk poorly about other people in order to build ourselves up in other people's eyes, that's evil. It's an evil desire. And we need to be very clear about that. That's actually a sinful thing. Because sin will never lose its allure unless we see it as what it actually is. We have to be clear that sin is sinful. If you think it's just a bad habit, you think, well, maybe I can just kind of deal with it or manage it or just ignore it, perhaps. But that is not what we are called to do. We need to put away all that garbage, Peter says, so that we can start to desire what we should really desire as people who have been born again by his word. We have to loosen the chains that have been slaving us to those selfish, disordered desires that we naturally have. And we do that by getting a taste of something that's much better than those old desires. We get a new taste in our mouths. We replace those old, sinful, fleshy desires with new, holy, and spiritual affections. We need new affections, and that's exactly what the Holy Spirit gives us when we're born again. So we've seen that we need to remember that all of those vices that Peter lists off there, that we should not take pleasure in that, okay? And if you do, you should stop. This is what Peter is telling us. But in order to do that, we we need to desire something else more. So this is what Peter tells us. Let's look now, second, at what we need to desire to replace those old desires with. This is 1B. Again, this is all based on the fact that we've been born again. Assuming that it's true, that you have tasted that the Lord is good, assuming that's good, uh, you should cultivate the desire to become more like Jesus through drinking in the gospel. We saw last week and even before that in previous sermons from chapter 1 that God causes us to be born again to a new and a living hope. And how does he do it? He does it through the imperishable seed, which is the word, which is the good news that was preached to you, which is the gospel. So God brings us to life through the gospel by the Holy Spirit. The gospel brings us to spiritual life. That's what we heard last week in the passage that was just before this. If you look back a couple verses in 1 Peter, 
1, 23 to 25, the verses just before that, you see it very clearly. God causes us to be born again through the gospel. And Peter says that not only did he cause us to be born again through the gospel, that same gospel sustains us and it matures us. That same gospel sustains us and matures us. So as a result of being born again spiritually, we long for what the Holy Spirit gives to us, which is the inspired word of God. Now, this should make a lot of sense because uh, later in a, in a different letter, Peter writes that the Bible was written by humans as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. So there's a sense in which the Holy Spirit authored Scripture itself. And so when we're born again, the Holy Spirit in us is drawn towards the Holy Spirit in the Word. And we get new affections for it that have been given to us by God. So the Holy Spirit authored Scripture. God uses us uses it to bring us to spiritual life. And then once we're spiritually alive, we desire more of it, what it was that brought us to life. And I love the illustration that Peter uses here for this. It's, it's brilliant. He compares spiritual birth to physical birth. He says that just like a mother brings life and sustains life through milk, the spirit brings us to spiritual life and sustains us through spiritual milk. It's a brilliant parable. Birth is a parable for the rebirth. So it seems obvious, but let's slow down and think about this for a second. A mother carries and forms a little baby from its inception, right? And it's knitted together by God in her womb. And after the newborn infant is, is born, after we bring it up in front of the church and clap for it and pray about it, uh, it, it turns back to the mother for nourishment, So the same being that brought it into the world is the same being that gets to nourish it, that gets to to feed it, that gets to sustain the life of this new being. So it's it's sort of the same for the spiritual rebirth. This is what Peter is telling us. Let's think about what Peter is saying spiritually. He's saying this new birth is kind of like that regular childbirth. So just as the mother brings forth life, God causes us to be born again through the Holy Spirit through the word of God. And after we're born, we return to the being who brought us to life to be sustained through nourishment. And as we drink this pure spiritual milk, we grow and we mature. Do you see the illustration that that Peter is using here? It's very simple, but it's brilliant. If you really take a second to, to think about what he's saying here. The same gospel that brought you to life is the same gospel that sustains you as a Christian. We need to return to the word of God over and over again because the Holy Spirit inspired it And he feeds us through it. So if you're thinking this morning that the good news which brought you to life is actually old news, you need to read this again. It's the pure spiritual milk that grows you up into salvation. I like how one pastor puts it. Uh, He says the gospel is not the diving board of Christianity. It's the pool. The gospel is not something that we move beyond or think, well, I'm just going to get away from that and get into this. Deeper stuff, that's not what we're looking for in Christianity. That, that milk that we all desire of the pure gospel is what gives us life and sustains us and grows us towards salvation. The gospel's not just for evangelism. Uh, we don't just hear it once, the ABCs, and sort of think, okay, we got the gospel, and then we sort of move on from there. It's for your everyday Christian life. Jesus lived the life we were supposed to live. He died the death that we were condemned to die. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, we live forever. 
This is the truth of the gospel. This is our deep and abiding hope that we've been born again into. We have an inheritance in heaven that is being kept by God himself. And we are being kept for our final salvation by God himself. This is the sort of thing that we needed to, to, to consistently and constantly remember. These deep implications of what the gospel is and what it means for us. And did you notice that the gospel doesn't just sustain us, it actually matures us. We grow up into it, into salvation. And salvation here, I think what Peter is doing here is talking about a final salvation, um, a, a personal salvation where eventually either Christ will call us home or he will come again. That final salvation when we're taken out, we're done with the troubles of this world, that final salvation, Peter says that we're supposed to be growing up into that. When we're, when we're out of the present sufferings that the people that Peter was writing this letter to were experiencing. That day is coming. And as it comes, we're supposed to grow up towards that day. Um, God forgive us. Some, some of us think we get the gospel and then we just sort of chill. Uh, it's sort of like at the airport, right? So if you're going through the airport and you've got those walking escalators, you see the people who will just hop on the escalator and they put their hands in their pockets. They look at the planes going out the window. They're like, I'm going to get to my gate eventually. I'm just, I'm just going to use this power to get me there eventually. But if we really recognize what it is that God has given us, this inheritance that he has called us to, I think we should be running through the, if we're going to continue the metaphor, running through the airport like we overslept, like home alone, dragging people behind us, jumping over suitcases, trying to get to that final day, that day of salvation. Don't treat the gospel like a walking escalator. We will arrive at our gate eventually, but we need to drink deeply of the gospel. Pray that the Holy Spirit would continually use it to grow you up, to mature you. Think about what God's acceptance of you means for how you should treat other people when you're tempted to tear them down and slander. Think about how God's word creates a community of love when you want to slander his church. Think about how God at the cross reconciled us to himself. And think about that when you need to reconcile yourself to an enemy. Think about, husbands, how Christ laid down his life for the church sacrificially. Wives, think about how the church of Christ engages with and submits to Christ intelligently and respectfully. Parents, think about how it was that you were adopted into this gracious family of God and then give that same grace to your kids, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. When you're engaging in spiritual warfare, remember that Peter just told us not long ago that this gospel is so brilliant that even angels are like, man, I got to find out more about this gospel. When you're tempted to misuse your body, Remember that your body's not your own. It's been purchased with a price by Christ. When you're tempted to run out of hope, remember that God has promised eternal life and God does not lie. These little implications of the gospel, they seem simple. They're they're so nutritious. This is the pure spiritual milk that we need to be longing for. Uh, And in many ways, we spend our entire Christian lives thinking about, meditating about, praying about how it is that the gospel 
shapes us and forms us and sustains us and grows us and matures us as Christians. And it takes effort. You've got to put work into it. But in order to do the work, you have to desire to do the work first. This is what God gives us in the gospel, that pure spiritual milk. Have you ever thought about how, as Christians, we need to bring our desires to Jesus? I think it comes pretty plainly and obvious, obviously, that we need to, when we come to Christ, bring our, our thoughts and our, our actions. But have you recognized that in, in, in Christian conversion, what really we need to do is bring our desires to Christ and have them reshaped and have them reformed? The new birth brings new loves. We've been born to better things. And so... Maybe you haven't ever thought about that before. Uh, how is it that you can cultivate a desire to, to want and long for the gospel? Ask him to make you passionate about the same things that he's passionate about. Um, at Trinity, we've got, we've got a, a beautiful mix, I think, uh, of people who are newborn Christians, people who have been saints longer than I've even been alive, people who have dedicated their lives to learn more about the Bible so that they can bless the church with the knowledge that they've gathered. There's, there's a remarkable spectrum of, of people here who are new Christians, old Christians, knowledgeable, not particularly knowledgeable, still new, novices, if you will. And what do all of us need, no matter how educated we are? We need the humility to drink deeply and learn more of the gospel. We all Everybody in these pews needs the humility to learn to drink deeply and learn more of the gospel. There is no point at which you're like, okay, I got that. Uh, I got my doctorate in that, and I'm done. That's not how it works. Everybody needs the gospel. In fact, the elders have been talking just recently about a new Sunday school class or a Wednesday night school uh, class uh, that would be a basics sort of class. So for those who have got very basic questions, it's the sort of place where you can come and ask those questions, not be embarrassed about it. Uh, nothing is off, nothing's off base, nothing's out of question. You can, those sort of things that you're embarrassed maybe to say out loud, this is the place for you to do that. Uh, in this. So watch out for that new class that'll be coming up soon. I'm sure we'll have more details soon uh, as that comes about. Uh, but what is it that you find spiritually tasty? What is it that you get stirred up in your appetite spiritually when you think about it or meditate about it? I'm, Maybe you've taken some time away before, like for Lent or something, where you've stopped drinking soda for 40 days or whatever. Uh, and then you come back and you have your first Coke after having not drunk it for, for 40 days. And your first sip is like, this is actually pretty gross. This is like battery acid. And I don't know why I used to like this. This is way too sweet. But think about this. The, the Coke did not change. Their, their recipe has been quite stable. What changed is your appetite. Your appetite has been retrained. And in the same way we can retrain our physical taste buds, we can retrain our spiritual taste buds. So, have you tasted? Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Have you tasted that Christ is the Lord? Have you tasted the gospel? Recognize that not everyone who reads the Bible tastes that the Lord is good. Do you know that? Have you tasted it? The question that's sort of underlying what I'm saying is this. Have you been born again? If 
It's not enough to look up Yelp reviews about what other people say about how good the Lord tastes. Testimonials are very important. Don't get me wrong. But the more important question is, how do you think the Lord tastes? When you get a little bit of the Bible, do you, do you, do you just long for it? Do you thank God for his grace that he's shown to you in giving you eyes to see the gospel, ears to hear it as good news, taste buds to, to savor it? We need to cultivate that desire as Christians. How can we do that? Well, I've got a few thoughts. This is not a comprehensive list by any means, but it's maybe somewhere where we can start. How is it that we can cultivate a desire for the pure spiritual milk of the word, which is the gospel, right? I have a few ideas. I've got six ways. Six ways to cultivate a desire to drink in the gospel. First is stop drinking garbage. Stop drinking in garbage. Uh, What is the garbage that dulls your appetite? It might include turning off cable news uh, or talk radio. I don't know if you've noticed this. There's a lot of slander and malice on there. That's just one example, though. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. What is it that's spiritual garbage that you're drinking in all the time that is just numbing your taste buds? Second, read the Bible regularly. Read the Bible regularly. Just as with food, you can change what it is that you find tasty. Uh, And so if you read it often enough, even when it's not particularly delicious to you, you might be surprised that over time, it becomes more and more tasty. Uh, This is part of hopefully what you're finding in this 90-day challenge that we've been going through together as a church. So when you taste the Bible and you start to get a taste for it and you recognize this has actually been very useful, this has been really beautiful, you want to come back for a refill. Third, read the Bible carefully. Time and time again, some of the most insightful and applicable things that I've gleaned from the Bible have come really only after I've stared at it for a long time, Uh, read it and reread it, meditated on it, prayed and asked God to help me understand it better. Sometimes in order to really get the tastiest morsels out of the word, it takes work. Don't be afraid of working to appreciate the Bible more. Fourth, fast. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, the uh, the Bible. Job himself even says that he treasured the words of God's mouth more than he treasured his next portion of food. That's the whole idea of fasting. Fasting is meant to, to, to take your attention towards your spiritual taste buds. So every time you hear your stomach grumbling, think about your spiritual stomach that is grumbling for God. Fifth, listen to biblical music. Listen to biblical music. The Word of God is, as we saw from the text, what spiritually sustains us and matures us. So the more biblical the song is, the more nourishment that you're going to be able to get out of it. Does that make sense? Uh, The more Bible that's in the songs that you listen to, the more you're going to be able to grow and mature because you're feeding on the Word of God that's in those songs. And if you're looking for some recommendations... Uh, We've put together a Spotify playlist that we would be glad to share with you. You can contact the office, email them. We'll send you that Spotify playlist. It's really just basically what we sing here together on Sunday mornings. Augustine said that when he heard great, great hymns, he said this, Truth was distilled into my heart. 
When I hear great hymns, truths are distilled into my heart. Music has that way of pouring thoughts like a funnel straight into your heart so that you feel it. You don't just think it, but you feel it, right? And I think this is not just worship music here. I would actually recommend some rap. There is some brilliant Christian hip-hop. I would recommend groups like Shylin or Beautiful Eulogy. Their songs are filled with biblical allusions and language that bring glory to God in Christ. Excellent stuff. Then last, and this might be a surprise, read Christian poetry. Read Christian poetry. Guys like John Donne or George Herbert. Maybe read the words of Isaac Watts' hymns. Uh, those hymn lyrics you recognize really are poetry. And the, sometimes poetry has that brilliant power of saying things beautifully so that it really it resonates with your heart and it sort of captivates your imaginations. And that's what we're trying to do. Christian art is meant to capture your heart so that your heart is torn towards God's and your desires change. The word of God sustains us and it matures us. A desire for God's word is a part of the natural makeup of someone who is born again. But it is something that we have to work on. It's something that we have to cultivate and encourage it. And we have to cultivate this desire for the pure spiritual milk of the gospel because without God's word, we'll just become starved of the source of our spiritual life. We'll never grow up. Let me just tell you quickly about a friend that I've known for about 12 or 13 years. Uh, It's a friend of mine that I've known for a while. He grew up in a a non-religious sort of home. He grew up going to church every once in a while, but really it was just because his his dad said that we need to do this to make your mom happy. So the dad was not engaged in what was happening at church at all. So even when he did go, he didn't take it seriously because his parents didn't really take it seriously either. He grew up and wanted to leave his home. He wanted to get out of the small town that he was in and make money, drive fancy cars, wear fancy clothes. And he did that. He moved out and made his own business, did very well for himself, got all those things that he wanted to have, and he found them lacking. He found them wanting. He always felt that there was some sort of a hole in his life. That these, he was told that this was supposed to fill, but it didn't. And over the last two years or so, he's undergone some incredible suffering. Um, something, it's gr- the most grievous thing probably you can think of as a parent. Uh, in losing a child. And it was in the process of losing this child and thinking through this and not dealing with it at all or not dealing with it well. He was going through uh, a storage cabinet that his grandma's uh, had had, uh, kept for him. And so he was going through his grandma's old things and he found this Bible. It was a a cool old Bible. It had like a big metal belt buckle on it. And he's like, I don't know. This is cool and I like this and I, I don't know who else I know that would think this is cool. Well, let's send it to Malachi. And so he texted me a picture of this Bible, and I'm like, this is awesome. He was, he was attracted to this Bible for some reason. And then, uh, so we started talking about the, the actual content of the Bible. And so we read through the Gospel of Mark together, and he had a lot of great basic questions that I was very glad to answer with him. And over the last year or so, he's changed. Uh, his desires have changed. His addictive behaviors, in many ways, have, have gone away, or at least been transferred to better desires. His business practices have changed. And he called me on Monday, uh, sort of out of the blue, and he said, hey, I read your book. 
like, man, I, hadn't, I haven't written a book. He said, you know, Malachi. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yes. How could I forget? And he had some very good questions about the book of Malachi. He didn't understand what the difference was between the Old and New Testament. And so we sort of walked through what that means and talked again about what happened on the cross where Jesus takes on the sin of humanity and the Father's wrath falls upon him. And he says, man, and when I hear that, all I can think is I'm sorry and thank you. This, no, nobody is more surprised than he is that he would say that. Um, I've known him for 12 or 13 years, and it's kind of insane that, that this guy would be saying these things to me. But no one is more surprised at how much he's changed than he is. He asked me, he said, Malachi, you've been in church for a while, right? Have you, this, what I'm experiencing, is this normal? Uh, does this happen to other people? I'm like, man, yeah, it does. We hear testimonies at Trinity, the church that I go to all the time, about how God is shaping new desires of people, people from all walks of life, people who have all sorts of different backgrounds, people who have been brought to life by the word of God and who gather together to feed on it together. What you're going through is natural. Actually, I should say it's supernatural. This new birth that God has created in him has caused him to want the Bible. And now he's, he's looking for a good church to go to in the area. And I said, man, this is not, this is not unique to you. This is what happens all throughout our church. This happens across the world. It happens throughout church history. It happens in 1 Peter. This is the picture that Peter's drawing for us here. When you're born again through the gospel, you want more of the gospel. The Holy Spirit that has been born in you wants the Holy Spirit-inspired scripture. Is that your testimony? Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Pray with me. Oh, Father, how good it is to be in your house this morning with your people. So encouraged by the words that we've heard sung here together, the voices lifted up, recognizing, acknowledging, really glorifying and celebrating the fact that we need you, that you are our high treasure, that you are our king. Father, I pray for those here that do not know you, who have not tasted your gospel, that they would, in fact, taste it before they leave here this morning. That right now, in their seats, the Holy Spirit would be giving them new taste buds. We pray for here those as well who are maybe need just to, to remember how good the gospel was when they became a Christian. Help them remember the, the fervor, how they wanted to just guzzle down the gospel. Perhaps that's gone away for them. Would you help them cultivate the desire once again to remember what your gospel is and what it means for us? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your abiding hope that you have born again in us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.